Welcome to Twinning It, the podcast that delves into the nitty gritty of parenting twins. I'm Alison Perry, author of OMG It's Twins and mum of preschooler girl twins. And I'm Jenna Good, journalist and mum of toddler boy girl twins. We know what a challenge it can be to raise twins. So join us as we speak to experts and other twin mums to get answers to all of those burning questions. Welcome back to another episode of Twinning It. Today we're speaking to Ollie Locke about his surrogacy journey and how he's going to be preparing for the arrival of his boy-girl twins with husband Gareth. We hope this episode will be useful for anyone going through something similar and also anyone preparing for twins in general. Ollie rose to fame many years ago as a member of Made in Chelsea and now he's written a children's book, The Faraway Adventures of Henry Boggett, Henry and the Great White Whale, which is an enchanting tale which will capture the imaginations of children, turning the ordinary into the extraordinary and everyday objects into truly magical things. Welcome to the podcast, Ollie. Hi, thank you very much indeed. It's great to have you here. How are you doing today? Yeah, no, very, very well. Um, actually, I'm about to go to Ireland. I've literally after this go straight to Ireland, so I'm going to go to uh, your, your end of the, the end of the world. Oh, I'm actually Scottish, but it's nearer. <laughs> it's nearer, you know, Scotland than we are right now. So I don't know why I'll we do. Ignore it. Ignore it. Sorry, I beg your pardon. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> we're all celtic it's all good um now ollie do you tend to wake up most mornings these days and wonder how different your life is going to be in a few months time pretty much so yeah it's um i tell you what we've been very lucky with um with the fact that um uh we've just moved house we're sorting it all out everything's nearly done but we have absolutely, as any new parent, I believe, um, have no idea what we're going to do and how mm. to deal with it. And 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 so, yeah, I think we're we're slightly limbo. And every day we wake up and go, actually, we've only got three and a half months left. We're like, we better. And then I spoke to someone yesterday said, well, I came three months early. And I was like, well, that's not a good thing to say. I'm like, we, <laughs> I said, we, we, we're not ready yet. But um, yes, <laughs> no. we certainly. So, we're, but we are starting to nest. We're starting to settle in. And when people say, do you want to go for dinner? We go, no, thank you very much. We'll, uh, we're going to stay in with the dogs. Oh, I like it. You're getting ready. You're getting into the mindset of parenting. Absolutely right. It is such a steep learning curve. Um, So I'd love to know how you reacted and how you found out to the news that you were having twins. So this has always been the sort of the grand idea is to try and have twins because with IVF and surrogacy has always been a difficult situation and um, it's slightly frowned upon putting two embryos in because it is multiple births are obviously slightly more difficult multiple pregnancies slightly more difficult um however on our fourth round of IVF our doctor turned around and said enough now we're putting two in um and so just so happens that both of them took which we didn't expect was going to happen because it hasn't happened before and uh turns out by fluke yeah it was it was it all worked and so that actually we're we're delighted because if we don't have to go through IVF again. That's a, that's yeah. a wonderful situation. You've got your whole family already and waiting for you now. Don't have to, yeah, do that again. So, but were you still shocked when, when you found out? Was it still a surprise? I think the shock slightly came in a little bit afterwards and we're going, ah, okay, now this is slightly, <laughs> a slightly bigger deal now. This is, this is not one baby, it's, it's two. And, but what I, I must admit, there is, I am, I completely understand but also everyone that you speak to that has twins goes, 
um, we don't know anything different. Like that, that's that's how it that's how mm. it was. So you don't you don't yeah. know, you have nothing to compare it to. But also, what annoys me is people going, "Oh, you have no idea how much your life's going to change." Stuff like that. I go, "Well, yes, I, I I do understand that. That's why we've gone through IVF to have children. I know that's it's not going to be exactly the same as what it was before. But also, let me go on my own adventure. It's when people people I don't the 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 condescendingness sometimes really the condescension sometimes is becomes a bit annoying or it's a bit like mm, you wait darling you yeah know, I, think I it know it, it is really annoying I I totally got that as well um, but yeah I mean it's a magical experience and it's and it's everything that you wanted so it's it's going to be brilliant and I have again, to say that that just you wait thing I mean oh. that does follow you all the way through parenthood you know you get I, I remember having um, when, when my twins were toddlers. And, you know, finding it a struggle. And parents of teenagers would say to me, just you wait, just you wait till they're teenagers. And it's like, this never ends. Is that <laughs> yeah. annoying? I can imagine. But you just have to kind of go with it, I suppose. But yes, but people can be slightly annoying. And everyone always says you wait for the mummy police, which is going to be even more annoying. Or the daddy police. The daddy you know, police in your, in your case, yeah. Absolutely right, yeah, so... Interesting. So you you mentioned Ollie that um you you've had four rounds of IVF and mm. you know it's been a bit of a bumpy road for you and Gareth to get to where you are today. Um, tell us a little bit about that if if you're happy to and you know what what it was like to have gone through so much disappointment to get to where you are today. It has been a um quite the roller coaster. The most difficult thing I think is is when um legality came in that that um that same-sex couples could adopt or have children through ivf um they uh didn't change or well actually it's better than that when legalization of same-sex marriage came in i think the government kind of stopped and said well we've done enough now we'll, that, we'll keep them happy for a bit um what has happened is they haven't changed the laws of IVF since Cameron was in. As it hasn't been like that. So he, he brought in uh, the, the same-sex marriage law. Um, and it hasn't been changed, the IVF situation, in 35 years. So actually, it's, it's, been, it's so archaic, it's so backward, and it's so difficult for anyone to have children. The main problem is, is financially, if you are not a high net worth earning family there is almost no way you're going to go through IVF as the same. So sector. are you not entitled to any NHS IVF treatment? Is that, is that Not the as case? gay men. <sighs> you're allowed, really you're allowed to make backwards. embryos. You're allowed to make embryos on the NHS. They say, thanks very much. But you're not allowed to use a surrogate. <sighs> so how do you do it? So it's for same-sex, for, for um, female um, same-sex mm. couples, it's a lot, it is a lot easier uh, for men because there's no womb. Um, you're not allowed to do surrogacy on the NHS. So that's where it gets difficult. So, um, but there's so many different things behind it. The fact that you're not allowed to see the face of the egg donor by, you're not at, at all. You're not even allowed to see pictures of them as a baby. And you are, if you're a, if you're looking for a sperm, you're allowed to see the picture of them as a baby. A, a egg, you're not. Again, completely bizarre. You're not allowed. So we are uh, embryos right now. We have not seen the egg donor um, the, a picture. But... Uh, in America, you're absolutely allowed to see them. You're allowed to meet them. You're allowed. To, it's a transaction at that point, yeah, and then they have no right, isn't it? Yeah, mm. they have no rights after the baby's like after the the transactions made. That that's it. That's that's done. Um, and yet, in England, on their 18th birthday, they're allowed to go and find um, the egg donor. Wow. They get all the information. 
So that for me seems really archaic, that actually it seems backward because America sees it right. And then everyone knows the transactional situation where in England you are allowed to go and see that person. Yeah. Um, all around European countries, it's still difficult. And uh, I, just go, I just want to go to something equally. A lot, of, a lot of answers, if you read the mail online, a lot of people say, why don't you adopt? And I, I would love to. We would both love to. That was an initial plan. We were put off by so many horror stories mm. of how difficult it is, and um, the fact that you would sometimes you'd find you'd find that child, and then you wouldn't be able to have it, and it would just sit there. I mean, David, um, David and Elton um, John always uh, talk about how difficult their journey was with that, which is why they went through IVF um, and stuff like that. So uh, I've, I've got a friend of mine who adopted in Spain. And they've had this fabulous seven-year-old daughter. They, they, since the baby was born, it was so exciting. The mother's got in contact. They've had to give their daughter back age seven. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Um, and so that, I mean, can you imagine how heartbreaking? No, yeah. So, so hearing stories like that made you decide to go down this Down the IVF. But yeah. there's an awful lot of situations that, are, that are, are difficult. We have to then adopt our own children six to nine months after uh, the babies are born. We don't have our name on the birth certificate when they're born. Mm. If our surrogate is married, uh, they take his married name, even though he's not biologically um, wow. related in any manner. He is the father on the birth certificate and the mother is the surrogate. We then have to go to high court and then adopt our own children for, so mine and Gareth's name can be on there. Luckily, wow. our surrogate is not married, so I get to be on the birth certificate as a biological yeah. father. And it, and it appears from what we've seen so far that you have a great relationship with um, your surrogate. It seems like you guys are all really close. Like, incredibly close. I got I got phone calls from her five-year-old yesterday being like, look, another tooth's gone. <laughs> like, and so you so yeah. And I'm like, well, that's brilliant. I was like, how much money have you got now? So we went literally through pennies about for 10 minutes about how much, exactly how much the tooth fairy's <laughs> left. Um, so how did you go about choosing a surrogate? I mean... And what made you do it in this country? Because you, you do hear of so many people going to America because mm. the system suits them a bit better. Well, initially we did. Um, it was during COVID. We tried to get into America and couldn't. Um, so we spoke to lots of people in America and through a Los Angeles egg donor agency, we were recommended a Mexican clinic in Cancun which had the same legality situation, basically legal situation as America. You can go there, you can see the egg donor, you can meet them if you want to, etc. cetera. Um, so we went to Mexico and there was a Brazilian egg donor that we had. And uh, she flew up to Cancun and we brought our uh, English surrogate uh, over. Now I'll go back a couple of steps. Luckily, well, finding a surrogate in Britain is very, very difficult. And it always has been difficult. You're not allowed to solicit to be one. Uh, and you're not allowed to advertise to find one. Um, so you have to meet on forums or through agencies, which personally, I think some of the agencies are ripoffs. Um, I think they are there because there's no information and people have decided to monetize on the fact that people are naive and there's no information out there. Uh, mm. uh, um, like a consortium of information as such. Um, it's very hard. Um, so it's all very sporadic throughout the internet. So um, I think agencies have been set up to... to um, so talking about ten thousand pounds to kind of go to events to come meet meet surrogates and stuff like that. There's no kind of charity behind it. It seems a bit strange to me. Yeah. Um, so we were in a fortunate position that we were putting our life on camera, and we had lots of lovely angel ladies um, message us on Instagram saying, "I would love to help." 
Um, so the first surrogate we had, um, she was fabulous. She was in the West Country and she was just incredible and the best person in the world. She decided that she wants to do it. We went through all the checks and the blood tests and bits and pieces that take about six months. Don't underestimate the fact that that takes a lot. And, and psychology and uh, all sorts of bits and pieces you have to go legally tick tick boxes. Um, so we flew out to Cancun with her. All was good. Uh, embryos made we went out for about six weeks because we were terrified lockdown was about to come in so we wanted to stay in the country if we could um and everything was fine we came home and it all was great and then we did an, a scene of chelsea and we found out uh on camera that the, the embryos just didn't take mm. um so on the guidance of doctors on the allowance and uh, feeling comfortable with our surrogate however she felt uh, we wanted to make sure she was fine we went we tried to go back out to mexico but as we were about to leave it went onto the red list and so we went okay thanks very much what do we do now so our embryos are now stuck in mexico and so we thought well what do we do now so we found an agency that could fly the embryos from from cancun to london if only if it, that, that was that easy, because we had seen the egg donor's face. So because we had seen the egg donor's face, we weren't allowed to bring them to London. No. So oh. we had to go to Cyprus, where it is legal. And weirdly, the north side of Cyprus, the south side is not legal, which I always find extraordinary. Wow. Um, You've really gone all the way around the world to try and make this happen. We really have. And mm. to make it slightly long story short, we went out there. And we did get pregnant and six days, six weeks, two days in, sadly, uh, the, the, uh, we miscarried those those um, embryos. So we decided to, under, again, advice to um, speak to our surrogate and, and see if we could potentially, we didn't know what the different environments, different bodies, different pHs, different, all sorts of whatever we, we had then discuss the idea of trying to speak to another surrogate to see if because that might on under doctor's advice consultant advice that's always a good idea to try something else um yeah. and so we found um another lady that was that was very willing to do it uh who is the lady we've got now um and um we met her and she was fabulous we did go through one round uh which was initially initially very successful and then only a couple of a week or so later, uh, the pregnancy test just it decided to just fade and fade and fade. And there wasn't anything left. Mm. Um, so we waited for a couple of weeks and we went just before Christmas last year. And there was a big fat positive And that big, nice, big fat line. <laughs> yeah, big fat line uh, that ended up being a really thick line. Yes. <laughs> and we went, okay, that's interesting. And suddenly the HCG was, was through the roof. And we were like, please don't be triplets. Please don't be triplets. <laughs> yeah, because that, um, that could have happened because one of them could have split. Absolutely. And I think that's why we're sitting here right now discussing. Yeah. Um, and how does your surrogate feel about the fact that she's having a twin pregnancy rather than a single pregnancy. I mean, has she mentioned anything to you about how she's feeling about that? She is like a miracle woman. She is just, um, she's so chilled about the whole process. She's the most relaxed person in the world. She's so happy. Uh, there's no complaints. There's all just wow. happiness. And um, she does go a little bit, oh, I'm getting bigger. She And she, is, she looks like she's eight months now, easily. Eight, eight nine months now. Um, yeah. And she is 21 weeks. So uh, 
it hits quick get where yeah she's she's fairly big yeah um, it's quite amazing it's gonna double yeah it's quite amazing how much your stomach can stretch i remember being around that stage and thinking surely i'm not going to get much bigger than this because i'm humongous and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger until i looked a bit like humpty dumpty but it was all good <laughs> right, i love that but again it's so fabulous yeah. Ollie, um, with you having such a good relationship with your surrogate, do you think you will stay in touch? Like as you know, as you raise these twins, it's become more than a surrogate situation. This has become such a family. Oh, we have we have their kids down uh, once a month, kind of thing. Um, and they all the whole family come down, and we spend the whole weekend with them. And, um, and the kids are like our. Oh, again like our like our second kids that become super super important to us as i was saying earlier like they're caught they're facetiming me like with mum next to me like oh look at the tooth obby like da, 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 my, like uncle ollie like oh my gay uncles kind of thing it's very much like that and it's something so that lovely. has become so important to us yeah um i mean obviously you have unfortunately gone through these losses um and with that can sometimes bring a lot of anxiety when you're going through a pregnancy um, have you managed to sort of try and balance those emotions so that you can remain positive and not be too anxious about what's going to happen? Um, again, any advice we do get um, always ends in the same thing. as that worry never goes away when you're a parent. It's only That's the true. beginning of it. <laughs> so um, a mum says even at 18, it still doesn't go away because then they're at university and they're getting drunk and you want to make sure they're in their cab on the way home happily. Um so uh, I think at this point, it's just the step by steps. Let's get all the scans done. Let's get to 24. Let's get to whatever. Let's let's make sure there's a healthy birth. Let's um, try and get the first couple of weeks, first year out the way. And then, but I mean, I, I think you just have to, you have to get on with life as much as you can and not try and worry because you've got to spend time for some enjoyment as well. Definitely. Someone turned around to me the other day and was cynical and was like, oh, you're buying all these clothes. And I was like, God, let me enjoy something. I was like, there's been so much, there's been so much difficulty in trying to get there. I must, if I want to go and spend 50 pounds on a jumper, I will, because it's going to look <laughs> lovely. And that's what I want to do to my child. That's what I want my, my son or daughter to be wearing. So bugger off. Yes. I'm very happy to do the things that I want to do. Yeah. So in terms of buying things then, how, you know, how organized are you? So you're, you're going and buying a 50 pound jumper, but are you also buying the kit that you need? Have you started thinking about what you'll need when the twins arrive absolutely right we've had this um fabulous lady earlier who um uh she's we're we're being a little bit bougie with it um and this <laughs> why is not? and and why not so a friend of ours um so th- this lady had looked after tabitha willett she looked after binky she'd looked after um princess eugenie she looked after Gwyneth paltrow um and she basically comes to your house and goes, okay, here we go. This is what you need. And she'll make an entire list of everything you need. Look at your house, look at your everything, whatever like that. And uh, it's an amazing service. And basically she, and then if you're anywhere in the public eye, whatever like that, she knows all the PR. So she contacts them on your behalf and gets as much free as you can, but then as much, uh, yeah, much gifted. And then as much, so she collates it all for you. And she comes over in the first week of June and with everything and helps set it all up and oh, you're ready to go. So that That's is true. an unusual circumstance. I yes, must admit. You are definitely very lucky to have that. I was going to yeah. say, I, I found the whole preparation leading up to their birth, quite a steep learning curve. There was so many things that just blew my mind about what I had to organize, you know, 
the stuff to feed them, all the sterilising bits and bobs and where they're going to sleep. It is quite mind-boggling. So it's great you've got help. So that. that is something that, that has helped an awful lot, especially as we're going, ah, we're like, we, we, we've never had children before. We need to, we, we need a bit of, again, you need a mummy every now and then to help life. And it's true. <laughs> uh, you need someone that's been through it all. And, and whether it's me calling my mum or, 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 uh, or these ladies going around and be like, we, every now and then we all need a mummy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Now, having gone through all the twists and turns of surrogacy, um, and there have been a lot of twists and turns from what you've just described. Um, do you have any words of advice, words of wisdom for anybody listening who might be considering going down that route themselves? Um, through IVF and all that situation? Yeah. Um, don't underestimate the cost. Um, don't, um, yeah, don't underestimate the cost. Um, I think we were fairly naive going into it. Um, and I we used to think how important it was to know what our child's um, egg donor looked like. And actually I couldn't give a flying hoot right now um, what the baby looks like or the babies look like as long as they're happy. We know that they're, they've, the, the egg donor had brown hair. We know she's got blue eyes. Um, that That's I mean, you get a bit of information, but actually yeah. all you want is healthy children. Um, so don't bother going to America if it's a real financial strain. Um, don't bother doing it do it, in, do it in England and it becomes a lot, a lot easier, a lot cheaper. If you really want those children, you're not going to matter too much. Um, I, um, yes, would get advice from consultants about the whole process. If you can't find advice, go and find someone that knows exactly what they're doing. And even better, don't underestimate there is a community around you online um, that is absolutely amazing that um, I'm friends with now that I, I had never known before. And they're wonderful, wonderful people. And half of them I've never met, whether they be in America or England or or Ireland or whatever. And, and, and you have no idea. Um, Are these you, groups on Instagram or places like that? Absolutely right. Um, there are groups on Instagram, but it's, it's not even groups. It's just individuals going through the same yeah. situation that you are end up finally that- organically. Would you mention any in particular that you found really useful? Yeah, so I, I, for, I always go to Stuart and Francis. They're fantastic. They're a gay couple. They're brilliant. Um, okay. They are on their second pregnancy now. They're due a week after us. Um, the Travelling Gays, who I'm sure, I'm sure you guys have spoken to. Uh, I'm yeah. sure they'll be coming on the podcast at some they're point. They're having <laughs> twins, aren't they? They're having twins, yeah. Uh, they're fantastic. Um, there's a guy called Demi and Tom. They're a, girl, a girl called Demi and Tom, and they're fantastic. They're from America, and they've gone through lots of IVF problems, and she's now very pregnant with their first baby. Uh, she's also got MS and endometriosis and has struggled desperately. However, uh, she's now going through it all. And there, there are some fabulous people that you can, you can find, um, and it's really heartwarming. Yeah, great. And um, on the note of planning, have you been thinking of names yet? Have you picked any out? We have both names. Ooh. And goodness me, that's a struggle, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. That is another thing. I spent hours like boys list and girls, because I had boy girl twins as well. So yeah. to have to think of both. Well, also, I mean, I we're very open. We, we tell everyone that we meet um, what our baby names are. Um, not when it's being recorded. All right. Um, 
was about but, to say, are you going to tell us? But when it stops recording, <laughs> I will tell you. Um, but, but there's so much to think about in terms of, do you go for names that match each other? Like Amy Childs, she called hers Billy and Millie, which is cute because they rhyme and they go together, but they're also quite different. But so also the boyfriend, the husband's about. called Billy, isn't, isn't he? Yes, yeah, yeah. he is, yeah. Yeah, and that's a bit like Sam Fairs did Paul and Paul. Yes, yeah, big Paul and little Paul. <laughs> yeah, um, so that I think that's quite an Essex thing to do your parents' names. I think it seriously. is. Seriously, yeah. So where um, did you get your inspiration from for your names? Um, without, without saying what they are. So one of which was a girl I knew years ago who was just the most beautiful, lovely girl, just the sweetest thing in the world, and she had a really unusual name. Now, we came up with a name very similar to that, and I had told a friend of my binky who told her best friend who had a baby called that as well, who went mental at me. So I went, okay, so we've changed it somewhat. Um, so it's a very similar name to what hers is, but not the same. Um, so there, there are politics around, you know, yeah. choosing names and making sure that it doesn't offend other people. It's it's hard. Absolutely right. And we're not the kind of people that want to go normal names as such. Um, we love old Greek, old Roman, all that kind of stuff, like really fab, like old kind of Shakespearean almost. Um, Cressida was very much one of the ones that we nearly went for. Um, yeah, there were all sorts of fabulous. We loved River, but then loads of people started doing River. Um, there was, yeah, we love unusual names. I just think it's... And, and what about for the boys, boys' name? Um, what did we what have? inspiration? Um, I liked Othello. Um, I love uh, Obi. Um, oh, yeah, was one of my cute. favorite names. I think actually found... Obi's going to be one of our middle names, actually. Oh, okay. Oh. I, I found like naming the boy dif- more difficult than naming my girl for some reason. There were lots of nice girls named. Like every girl says that, and every guy says the opposite. Oh, okay. <laughs> really because that's I'm not interesting. A boy. <laughs> so interesting. But yes, you're absolutely right. Um, I found finding girls' names incredibly difficult and boys' names came straight to me. Right, okay. Oh, well, I'm glad um, we solved that one. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, Ollie, another exciting baby of yours that's coming, your book. Um, yes. Can you tell us a bit about the faraway adventures of Henry Boggett and what inspired you to write it? Absolutely. So, this is the. Um, this is the first of the series. Now, what's exciting about this series of books is they come out twice a year. Um, and so this one comes out in April and the next one comes out in October. Uh, and that will carry on throughout uh, the life of the series. Um, Henry is a little boy, fairly normal little boy that lives in London. And he finds magic in London uh, by realising that the portals, that sorry, that the blue plaques on people's walls are actually portals back into their world, whichever writer, singer, uh, actress, etc. Um, starting with Herb Merville, who wrote Moby Dick, and going back into his world into 1851 in Nantucket. And um, so he goes on Pequod, he goes and meets Ahab, he goes, uh, all that kind of stuff, and goes and goes on the adventure with the white whale. Um what I love about it more than anything, the inspiration just came from the fact that we always lived around Fulham and Chelsea and London. And I always, as a child, especially, but even now, just get in, just fascinated with the idea that someone lived there. These iconic characters that are worldwide famous um, live there. You could see the inspiration. Every day I walk past Bram Stoker's house and you sit there and like Dracula was came, came up in that house. Or or you go past Jay and Barry's house um, on Queensway and you sit there and you go, this is, you've still got a yellow door and still got 
they've they've they they put um little bits of uh, a mirror all over the house. So when the lights go past it at dark, it looks like Neverland. Wow! And so it's really magical. And on the just off the King's Road um, is. Um, uh, JP Travers, who did um, uh, Mary Poppins, you sit there and you're like, you can literally inside that room. Someone came up with the idea of this magical woman, and like that, I always find it amazing. Um, and I thought that London is, I always felt quite magical in lots of ways, and uh, and yeah, I just felt that this was the blue plaques were just a way into someone else's world. So that's where it came from. It was my it's idea for a long time. Such a clever idea. It's so clever. Um can you can you see yourself, you know, having bedtime stories with your with your kids in kind of years to come, telling reading them your stories? Absolutely right. That's where it generally came from is I think the bedtime stories are an underrated part of um of childhood and having children. I think that's something that that I think the idea that you can sit there with your child and have that 10, 15 minutes and it's just a you time and you're both going on an adventure together, whether it be with Narnia, whether it be with Peter Pan, whether it be with Henry Boggett, whoever it is, you go on an adventure with them. Um, and it sh- uh, these books sometimes can be unenjoyable for adults because they're a bit boring. But actually, between, I've tried to make them a little bit more exciting so that, that there is that element of um, not only education, but um, excitement that they don't quite know what's happening next. And the illustrations are absolutely fabulous. And, and I've made them oldie-worldie. I haven't made them um, into an illustration that's a bit modern or anything. I've, I've made it so it feels like old school kind of mm. um, That's Dickensy. true. You have it. It's quite traditional in feel, isn't it? Absolutely right. And it's exactly how I wanted it. I wanted it to feel like it was you're going back into a world um, instead of it being too modern. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't want it to be hardback. I wanted to be able to chuck it at the bottom of the pram and you can take it wherever you want. I, I wanted that. I, everyone was, oh, we're doing hardback. I mean, no, it's just inaccessible to have this big hard thing around. I wanted to roll it in there. It's meant to have ragged edges. It's meant to sit there and go with you everywhere. It's meant to be in the bottom of the bag and the, on the plane. Brilliant. <laughs> That's so, so good. Um, Listen, Ollie, a huge thank you to you for joining us today. It's been wonderful to chat to you and hearing all about your journey. That's so kind. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much, Ollie. And um, we can't wait to see you all snuggled up with your lovely twin newborns. Well, that is perfection. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 